Hi all, Marty West here. We're hard at work on new episodes of the Ednext podcast, but don't have them ready quite yet. So this week we decided to repost one of our favorites from the archive, my 2017 conversation with Northwestern University's Diane Schonsenbach on the costs and benefits of redshirting a rising kindergartner. I hope you enjoy it. Each year, millions of American parents must make a seemingly life-altering decision for their soon-to-be kindergartner, to redshirt or not to redshirt. Many parents believe that so-called academic redshirting, or the act of delaying a student's kindergarten entrance by one year, will give their children a leg up not only when they first enroll in school, but throughout their educational careers and later in life. But is redshirting preschoolers really advantageous, or could it do more harm than good? I'm Marty West, Editor-in-Chief of Education Next, and I'm joined today by a Diane Schonsenbach, a Professor of Education and Social Policy at Northwestern University and Director of the Hamilton Project at the Brookings Institution. Along with the preschool educator Stephanie Howard Larson, Diane is the author of the article, Is Your Child Ready for Kindergarten?, which will appear in the summer 2017 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Diane, welcome to the Ednext Podcast. Thanks for having me. So this is an article that I wish had existed when I was facing this decision as a parent. So I'm excited to have the chance to discuss it with you today. It's also something of a departure for you in that it offers advice not to policymakers like most of your work, but directly to parents. What led you and Stephanie to write it? You know, this is one of the most popular questions that's out there on the playground. Uh, it, when people hear that I do education policy, they often come to me and say, you know, I'm considering redshirting my kid. You know, and because I think it's going to make things much better, they'll be, you know, at the top of their class in kindergarten. That's going to stick with them, you know, over the long term. What does the evidence say? And I'm quick to say, well, actually, the evidence doesn't seem to bear that out. And, you know, in fact, I think more often than not, it's a mistake to redshirt your kindergartner. In talking with Stephanie, who is the director of our preschool and had two of my three kids in class for preschool, I was asking her what she thinks about it, what she, what kind of advice she gives to parents, because I really respect her opinion. And I was really surprised to learn that her advice matches up essentially perfectly with the way that I read the academic literature. And so, you know, we got to talking about this and thought it would be fun to team up together and and provide some some evidence. Now, as you say, parents are really interested in this question, a lot of them facing this decision, but one of the points you make in the article that is that it's often hard for them to get unbiased advice about it. Why is that the case? Well, there's a couple of reasons. So one is, you know, I think educators are very focused on the first couple of years, and they don't, they, you know, it really takes statistics to be able to take a step back and see you know, what happens over the life course. So, you know, how long does this gain stick with you, et cetera. But then furthermore, uh, you know, educators kind of have some skin in this game as well. And so I recommend that you take their advice with a little bit of a grain of salt. So for example, you know, your preschool teachers, you might say, oh, delay. Well, of course, that means that you will go to preschool for another year and pay tuition there for another year. At the same time, you know, elementary schools might suggest to you, yeah, you should go ahead and delay. Um, that means that you, when your child arrives in kindergarten, they'll be a year older. And the evidence is quite clear that having a kid who's a year older, you know, they're easier to teach, they're better behaved, just because of the virtue of time. And so, you know, it, 
they've got a little skin in that game too because they realize that that's going to make their job a little bit easier. Now, of course, I think most educators, you know, have your child's best interest in mind, but we are all human. And so you have to just take their advice with a little bit of a grain of salt. So how common is academic redshirting and what kinds of parents are most likely to do it? So the evidence is that families are most likely to redshirt their boys, especially if their boy is is uh, you know born in the summertime, right before the cutoff for the next year. So if he would have been among the youngest in the class, uh, they're most likely to to delay. You also if you see a very strong gradient and you know a very strong relationship between families' educational status and the likelihood of redshirting their kids. And so among college-educated parents with a boy with a summer birthday, one out of five boys is redshirted in that category. But of course, I want to be quick to add, that means that four out of five are not. And so even though this is a hot topic on the playground and you know it seems like everywhere you look, people are talking about doing this, the vast majority of people do not redshirt their kids. And nationally, I think it's just something like six to eight percent of the kindergartners are held back. Overall, that's right. That's right. And the, then it's a little bit higher for boys in the summer. Um, and it's interesting that it's highest among sort of the more educated, more advantaged parents. Uh, maybe the benefits of redshirting are something of a suburban legend. Uh, so what considerations do parents seem to take into account when making that decision? We can probably learn from the fact that boys are the ones who are held back most often. Right. So Stephanie, I would say, particularly gave some insight into this because she has experience with people coming to her and talking about, you know, where is my child developing? You know, are they sort of in the thick of the distribution or are they, you know, a little bit behind? Because, of course, every parent wants their child to be able to walk into kindergarten, you know, standing tall, metaphorically <laughs> standing tall, you know, able to advocate for themselves, you know, get along in, in groups and so on. And so, if parents feel like their children are, you know, a little bit delayed on that, you know, if they've got bad work habits or they have trouble, you know, being in circle time or something like that, I think they're more likely to say, you know, let's think about delaying here. And physical size may be an issue as well, right? Physical size also seems to matter quite a bit, actually. Uh, it looks like families are more likely to redshirt short boys. So this phenomenon of academic redshirting has been around for a while, but it gained new prominence in 2008 when the journalist Malcolm Gladwell argued in his book Outliers that being older than their peers was a key factor in explaining which students are most likely to succeed. So what, if anything, did Gladwell get right, and where, in your view, did he go wrong? Sure. Well, he's certainly right that if, you, if your goal is to make sure that your kid has the best kindergarten test scores in the classroom, redshirting them is a great idea because, you know, just by virtue of being a year older, they have, you know, had that many more bedtime stories and trips to the museum and whatnot. And so they will do better on standardized tests. Now that, you know, and I think that's what Gladwell says, and the statistics show that that benefit erodes pretty quickly because that additional year of life, while it's very large if you're only five, right, an additional year of life is not as much additional year when you're 12 or 18. I think the data shows that the, that benefit declines quite quickly. Now, the other piece that he doesn't 
talk about and I think you know it really took us in the literate academic literature to understand and tease these things out is the important role of peers in the classroom and so what we see there is that holding a child's own age constant actually being with older peers you know within reason we're talking about peers who are six months or nine months old are not you know we're not talking about putting kindergartners in with 18 year olds or anything like that but you know within within a reason being with older children is has a positive influence on kids and you know what we think is going on there is you know they're you know they're modeling their behavior after that they're trying to compete with the other kids in the classroom and this is this is good for them and so especially uh, you know Stephanie gave the insight that when people redshirt their children and then sort of go on to regret it it's when they redshirt and find that then the child is badly matched to their peers. So they're potentially much more mature than other students, and you know they like different things. And so when they then feel Maybe socially get frustrated isolated. with the behavior of their peers. Indeed. So studying this issue systematically is very hard, I imagine, because you know as you mentioned, students are hardly redshirted at yeah. random. Their more advantaged ones are more likely to be redshirted, it seems. So how have researchers actually attempted to tell us what really happens? Right, yes. No parent has agreed to do a randomized control <laughs> trial on their child on this dimension. And so that makes it hard. Uh, so there are a couple of different approaches in the literature. Uh, the one that I, my own research with Liz Cassio, looks at the peer impacts and it uses this randomized control trial where kids were randomly assigned to classrooms and so that allowed us to say okay well holding constant your own age what happens if we vary your peers age so this was an experiment that was set up to study the effects of class size reduction as i understand it but just by virtue of the fact that students were randomly assigned to classrooms you get some cases where a student has much older peers and some has much younger peers. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, that's one of the wonderful things that we've learned by making sure that the Project STAR data were publicly available to other researchers, is that researchers have been able to tease out a lot of really interesting questions as a result. And so this is what allows you to study the effects of being with older and younger peers, and you find that there are real benefits to being with older peers and that unlike that early advantage from being older in your classroom in kindergarten, that this benefit of being with older peers seems to last. That's exactly right. So going back to Gladwell, he starts his discussion of redshirting not with academics at all, but actually with athletics. So he draws on data suggesting that Canadian youth hockey players who have birth dates that result in them being older than other players in their league get more attention, they get more opportunities to develop their skills, and that ultimately they're much more likely to become good enough to play in college or the National Hockey League. So let's say I'm a parent who cares only about sports, or at least cares a lot about it. If I want my boys to get college scholarships, did I make a mistake by not redshirting them? You know, the data just aren't, aren't clear on this. Uh, and things, I think, really vary by how youth sports are set up in your local area. And so certainly in some places, a child's grade doesn't matter at all. It's really just their year of birth. So I think that's how it's done in California. Youth leagues, I think, have have learned about this redshirting behavior, and they have taken steps to potentially undo this gaming that parents might might have. So if youth leagues are organized by age rather than by grade, then then this is irrelevant. Then this becomes irrelevant, as out of school youth leagues have become 
more important as a venue for sort of cultivating athletic talent relative to what goes on in the school system, then it almost certainly becomes much less relevant for this type of question. That's exactly right. You know, we don't have direct evidence on is your child more likely to make the junior varsity soccer team or, you know, swimming team in high school if they were redshirted. It would be nice to have evidence like that. But, you know, it's hard to imagine that this kind of a this kind of a leg up is going to outweigh just the natural variation in athletic ability. So returning to academics, what about an issue like access to gifted and talented programs? That would seem to be a case in which a child's relative age and their grade really could matter. No, it's, I think it's the same type of answer, right? That uh, it depends, uh, that same type of answer. The leg up that a child will get from being a year older is, is you know, measurable, but it's probably dwarfed by just natural variation in talent level. And, you know, th then things matter quite a bit about, you know, at what age are these tests taken for gifted and talented programs? So it might make, be a bigger leg up in kindergarten than it is certainly in third grade or fifth grade when I think many of these gifted and talented programs start. But in addition, of course, you'll want to understand by what metric are the students being normed. And so if you're in a place where they norm you by your exact age, then in fact, I would make the opposite recommendation, which is then, you know, if, if what matters is what your age is, then you want to make sure that the child's had as many years of education as possible when they get to that age. And so that suggests, in fact, not redshirting, but maybe even pushing ahead. Now, overall, you and Stephanie make a pretty strong argument that redshirting more often than not does more harm than good. But are there any circumstances in which redshirting a preschooler is likely to be a good idea? Oh, sure. So, the, the, you know, the, this is not evidence-based as much as is experience-based. But the advice that, that Stephanie gives, and I think it makes a lot of sense, is, you know, in two cases, it makes sense to consider redshirting. The first is if there's some sort of a temporary trauma that the student is experiencing. For example, you know, the serious illness, death of a parent, something really traumatic, uh, that it might then make sense to say, let's hold off and, you know, let the child adapt to that and then start. So that they don't experience this school transition exactly. at the same time that they're facing this out-of-school difficulty. Exactly, exactly. You know, the other is you know, if there are severe delays that the child has faced, if, you know, the prediction is that by delaying an, another year, then the child will sort of be in the normal range, then that's another opportunity to, to really seriously think about redshirting. Now, one reaction I've heard to your article is that it seems to fly in the face of current enthusiasm around personalizing education so that students can proceed at their own pace that you're conceding not only that all education should be age-graded, but that parents should respect the definition of age that's imposed on them by the public school system. Is that a fair characterization? How would you respond to that interpretation? Well, I think that I really would come back to that we know that peers are a very important part of the, of the classroom process. So even if we are individualizing learning in some sort of fashion, the peers are still very important piece of this and I think I would still stick with my answer that you know being with peers who are older is 
more likely to be good for your student than being with peers who are who are younger. I would even think that in a, a situation where learning is individualized, this might be all the more important. In what way? Well, because you know, if the child's moving, you know, at their own pace, what's the benefit of holding them back another year? It, it doesn't seem to me like there's any at all. That's right, because then the exposure to the academic content is personalized regardless. But but the, the peers are worse. Peers are, exactly. are worse. Exactly. So, so I reject that question. <laughs> well, my guest today has been Diane Schonsenbach, professor of education and social policy at Northwestern University. Her article, Is Your Child Ready for Kindergarten?, is available now at educationnext.org. Diane, thanks for taking the time to join me. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the EdNext podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive and, especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.